Imagine you woke up this morning and you turned on the news and you found out that $75 million USD was stolen off of a single train. Well, in 1963, that's exactly what happened. The Great Train Robbery is a story of folk heroes, train robbers, and good old-fashioned police work. But none of it would have happened without one mysterious character, the Ulsterman. The Great Train Robbery took place at 3 a.m., August 8, 1963, where a gang of thieves stopped the Glasgow to London Royal Mail train and relieved it of more than 2.5 million pounds. Since this is 1963, that's the equivalent of over 75 million USD today. This makes it one of the largest scores in the history of heists. And it kind of needed to be because there were a total of 16 men involved in this robbery. They were led by Bruce Reynolds, Buster Edwards, and Gordon Goody. But all of this, all of the masterminding and planning, was based solely on the information of their inside man, the Ulsterman. Now, the Ulsterman's true identity remained unnamed for over 50 years, but he was believed to be an insider because of the knowledge he had. He told these boys exactly which train to rob, exactly which train car to find money in, and exactly which day would have the biggest score. You see, if they were to rob this same train any other day, they would have roughly had 300,000 pounds instead of the 2.5 million pounds on this one day following a bank holiday. Now, to bring that back to today and put it in US dollars, that is a $65 million insider tip. The Ulsterman is the guy you want to know if you're a thief. So let's get to the actual heist. Now, the Ulsterman knows the goal and all the information. He has the what, the where, the when, but he doesn't have the how. So he outsources this to our three masterminds, Bruce Reynolds, Buster Edwards, and Gordon Goody. He subcontracts it to them. They eagerly accept this job. And when they walk away, the first question they had is, how are we going to stop a train? That is a good question. How do you stop a train? Well, you get a train-stopping expert. This is one thing I love about the criminal underworld. There seems to be a specialist for everything. And this is no different. They find themselves a train-stopping specialist. This is an unassuming old man who says he knows how to stop this train. And what they really wanted was just the information from him. How do you do it? But he said, oh no, you have to cut me into this job and I will be there on the day and I will stop this train. So what can they do? They don't know a whole bunch of train-stopping specialists, so they agree and they bring him on as a partner to their gang. When this gentleman shows up to work that night, he has some tools with him and they're not the tools you'd expect. He has some six-volt batteries and black leather gloves. In 1963, these signal lights were not too high-tech. They weren't too complicated. So this man opens the back of the signal light, takes his black leather glove and puts it over top of the green glowing bulb, which is the real signal, but it makes it completely dark, and takes his batteries and connects it to the red light at the top, turning it on. And now you have a red light, and red means stop. So just after 3 a.m. of August 8th, the driver, Jack Mills, stops the train at a red light at the Sears Crossing. It seems kind of wild that that's all it took, but of course it would work. If you're a train driver and it's three in the morning and one of your signals is on and says red, 
you gotta stop the train. So as Jack Mills slows this train to a stop, he sends the locomotive second crew member, known as the second man, great name for a guy second in charge, a 26-year-old named David Whitby, he sends him to climb down and inspect what's going on. They were not expecting to stop at this particular time and place, so they wanted to find out why is this light on, what's the delay. So Whitby climbs down, and as soon as he does, a dozen of these robbers board the train. They grab Whitby and they club Jack Mills in the back of the head with a kosh. A kosh is a small metal club. And this is seriously unfortunate because they were supposed to be gentlemen thieves. Gentlemen thieves do not hurt anyone. They are there just for their money. They're trying to go for the most victimless crime. And the clubbing of Jack Mills really ruins that idea. Even though some people downplay it and they still like to tell the folklore of the gentlemen thieves, the fact of the matter is they clubbed a guy in the back of the head and that is no longer a victimless crime. I do believe that when they boarded this train, when they planned this heist, they didn't intend to hurt anyone. For example, none of them brought guns. They were fully intending on doing this without hurting anyone, but that's not how it planned out. Now the train stopped right where it was supposed to, 800 meters short of the Brigadero Bridge, and the robbers expected this. The Brigadero Bridge is where they want to unload the money. That is 800 meters away, which is half a mile, which is two laps of your high school track. It's not far, but to move a whole train, you still need someone who knows how to drive it. Cleverly, they had hired someone for their gang who was a train driving specialist. This guy had been driving trains for 25 years. They brought him on just specifically to move the train this 800 meters. Unfortunately for this man, When he got on the train, he didn't actually know how to drive that kind of train. It was too new and he had no experience. He did not know how to use it. I cannot imagine how this guy would have felt standing in front of these controls thinking, holy crap, I don't know how to do this. This is why they brought me here and I don't know how to do it. It must have been a very awkward conversation to have with 15 outlaws standing there looking at you and you're the only thing between them and their score. But luckily, they didn't knock Jack Mills completely unconscious, so they propped him up and made him drive his own train the 800 meters down to the Brigadero Bridge. They did this for two reasons. The Brigadero Bridge was a better, more private spot for them to unload, and they could park their vehicles right there, a much shorter trip. Now, in the high-value package carriage, there was 128 sacks full of money. The robbers only removed 120 of them. That's right, they left eight sacks behind. Now when you read that, that seems insane. That is a little over 4% of the entire haul. But Bruce Reynolds, being the mastermind thief he was, he had set a time limit for unloading, and he said that's all you got. He gave them 20 minutes, and wherever you are at 20 minutes, that's when we have to go. I personally think it would be quite hard to see only eight sacks left And that equaling, in today's money, millions of dollars. But you have to leave. It's time is up and you have to go. They're right there. They're within arm's reach, but you have to go. After they had their 120 sacks loaded in their vehicles, they headed back to their hideout, Leatherslade Farms, which is about 26 miles from the scene of the crime. And 26 miles is a marathon. It's exactly the Boston Marathon away, just to give you some sort of perspective. This Leatherslade Farms, they'd actually purchased two months prior, and that's where they did all their planning and masterminding. It was their lair, their hangout, their criminal headquarters. And if you had a fast car, it was only about 30 minutes down the road from the scene of the crime. That's not a terrible commute to work. 
It probably isn't super smart for all 16 thieves to head back to the exact same location after a crime. However, when you're dealing with 16 professional robbers and thieves, you probably can't trust anyone to send you your share of the money in the mail or whatnot. So I could see why you'd probably want to be present while they counted every pound. And count they did. The total amount of money was £2,681,784. Oh, and 10 shillings. Now, like we said before, that would be worth 75 million USD in today's money. That was beyond their wildest dreams. It was the largest cash theft of its time. And because in life these days, it seems to be that we talk in millions of dollars all the time. But I want everyone to realize that 2.5 million pounds in 1963 equals around 75 million US dollars today. That is the combined net worth of Prince William and Prince Harry. So two princes combined have about that much net worth. And that's how much these guys got for attaching a battery to a red light bulb and putting a black glove over top of a green light bulb. Just a friendly reminder. After the count of the money, they eventually left the hangout and all went their separate ways. But they didn't clean the evidence of this farm well enough. They had hired an accomplice to come clean all the evidence and burn down the farm. But this man took their money and did not do his job. The farm did not get cleaned properly and it did not get burnt down. These men were caught by good old-fashioned police work and also a little bit of luck. One of the best stories you'll hear about this heist is that the men while hanging out and counting the money decided to play Monopoly. And they were playing Monopoly with real money because how fun would that be? You have millions of pounds in front of you. You might as well play Monopoly, but with real money. Unfortunately, that means touching the Monopoly board, which means fingerprints. The police found this Monopoly board and the fingerprints on it, and that led them to an arrest, which very quickly led to a dozen arrests. Each of these men was sentenced to between 20 and 30 years in prison, depending on their involvement. Many of these thieves didn't know the Alsterman by any other name, and the ones that did know weren't talking. The police did a really solid job here. I mean, it was a mix of poor planning on the criminal's part and not following through with destroying the evidence. But the cops, with their dedicated search, really did leave no stone unturned. But the police investigation states the theft as £2,595,997. That is about a 35,000, pound discrepancy. I'm not saying the police took 35,000 pounds, but I will say maybe they had a lot of gum on the bottom of their shoes when they were walking through the crime scene that day. I don't know. This is all just conjecture, but it is fun to wonder how come there is such a large discrepancy between those two numbers. Looking back at this years later, I can tell you exactly how it all played out. Twelve of them ended up serving time between 20 and 30 years in prison, depending on their involvement. Ronnie Biggs, one of the members of this heist, escaped from prison in 1965. He became so famous in his own right, he almost deserves his own episode. Jack Mills, our train driver who was struck in the head, he unfortunately never returned to work. I guess that injury was a lot more severe than anyone would have liked to see. And because of that, it played a part in the longer prison sentences that these thieves received. Bruce Reynolds found a career cashing in on this robbery. He became a semi-successful speaker going around and talking about the great train robbery. Buster Edwards, 
became well known for selling flowers at a flower stall outside of a train station. And Gordon Goody, he was the one who, 50 years later, in 2014, decided to reveal the identity of the Ulsterman. Now he did this because he said he was tired of the misinformation about the heist still going around, and since all but two of his fellow robbers were dead, and he was also fairly sure that the Ulsterman himself would be dead, he thought it was time to set the record straight. So Gordon Goody gave up the true identity of the Ulsterman to movie producers for a movie called A Tale of Two Thieves. And some people doubted the identity of the Ulsterman, but Gordon Goody repeatedly reminded people he had no reason to lie. He'd already served his 30 years in prison. There was no point other than to set the record straight. So I believe him. The Ulsterman, the man himself, who without him, this story would never have taken place. He was a quiet man named Patrick McKenna. And when his family found out, they were very surprised. McKenna never seemed to have much money. Someone who doesn't seem to be a career criminal, leading them to believe that he had donated the majority of his money, or maybe he had it stolen from him. This we will never know. As for the Monopoly board, well, it's part of a police museum, and they decided to bring it to the Antique Roadshow. So it had its moment in prime time. It was appraised only at 200 pounds, which I find that crazy because I personally would pay more than 200 pounds to have that in my house. But I don't know more than the Antique Roadshow guys, so I'm going to leave it to them. If you enjoyed this, move your thumbs on over to the subscribe button. Thank you to ShipBob for presenting this season. They make sure your packages are stored and shipped safely. 